You are listening to a Sunday sermon from St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Bellevue, Washington. We are a community that seeks God's presence, serves Christ in others, and grows together in our faith. Welcome to our podcast. The following sermon was preached on the third Sunday after Pentecost, June 13, 2021, by the Right Reverend Greg Rickle, Bishop of Olympia. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Christ. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know why or how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. Jesus also said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs, and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but explained everything in private to his disciples. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. It's so good to be with you all. I'm just getting set up here. You know, I have to learn a new space every week. And after a year, I'm learning how to do this again, too. But you might say that the readings today are of a theme all about seeds and growth and change. And yet I kept getting drawn back after this last year we lived through, probably having a lot to do with it, to the words from Paul to the Corinthians, so that those who live will live no longer for themselves. I tried mightily not to get sidetracked by that phrase. I argued with myself about it. I argued with myself that it was not the phrase or focus I should take today. And yet I just kept being led back to that line so that those who live will live no longer for themselves. I haven't heard much in this vocation or learned much in this vocation, but one I've learned is if you keep getting dragged back to what you want to avoid, you probably need to let go and lean into it. You will note and perhaps suffer through that I finally and ultimately failed at dismissing these words or avoiding that line. I remember when the bishop that ordained me was talking to me about spiritual direction and my need to find one, a spiritual director that is, and he offered a name and I had an immediate visceral reaction. I blurted out, 
That person and I are like oil and water. I went on and on. I ranted. I stood up. I stomped around the office. He thought I'd gone mad. When I'd finally finished, my bishop, almost without flinching or changing any of his composure, said quietly but clearly, well, Greg, sounds like a perfect match to me. <laughs> and after 30 years, next week, I will have the joy of meeting with my spiritual director, the one and same person that I would tell you I cannot live without, I cannot imagine have walking this faith without, but it started out that way. So I remembered that when I keep coming back to those words, so that those who live will no longer live for themselves. I was trying to avoid those words and all of the meaning they have for lots of reasons. One, of course, is it's not the most hopeful notion or thing to point out about our last year, living no longer for ourselves. Of course, we saw a lot of heroism, especially around all the first responders, nurses, doctors, police, fire, grocery store workers, just about anyone that didn't have the luxury to sit in their sweatpants and keep making money on Zoom, like me. We saw loads of that, and yet we also saw a lot of division. And sadly, much of it is in the world of faith, and even more precisely within the realm of Christianity no longer living for ourselves. Such a powerful and convicting idea. Certainly one that matches with Jesus' way, with Jesus' life, with Jesus' hopes for us and for his people, that we would live no longer for just ourselves. And yet this last year, if I felt despair, this was the reason for mine, seeing so many live only for themselves. Your beloved rector and I commiserated about that very thing several times throughout this year. Present company and those watching, of course, excluded. <clears throat> Living no longer for ourselves. What we have witnessed is not only this self-absorbed focus by so many, but also a pent-up anger coming out all across this nation. The January 6th attack on the Capitol perhaps being one of the most prevalent and notorious, but really all over the country we see it. Homicides are at an all-time high. Gun violence is rampant. Fighting on planes is becoming commonplace. The odds being twice they were before the pandemic that you will be on a flight that has violence. Road rage has increased and has even on several occasions lately become deadly. Malls have turned into shooting galleries. All of this not, not even mentioning the hate, violence, and crimes against Asian Americans, black Americans, indigenous Americans, really anyone that doesn't look like me or think like me or believe like me. In short, all of this is the complete opposite of what Paul is writing to the Corinthians. What he's writing is his take on the meaning of the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, this faith, all that left to us and what it should mean in our collective lives to live no longer for ourselves. In Paul, 
it is always important to note the community he was writing to. Corinth was a pretty wild port town, and it had all that comes with that. The Corinthians had and were living out some pretty bizarre interpretations of what following Jesus was. Much of Paul's writings to them is an attempt to get them back on track and away from some of those. In short, in so many ways, the Corinthians had taken a very narrow, self-absorbed, self-centered, isolated approach to this faith. And Paul keeps stepping in to shine a light on this, keeps trying to show them their great adventure in missing the point. In the Gospel of Mark, which I would argue is the one gospel more focused on discipleship than any other, more focused on what this faith calls us to do and be each day, this writer is speaking to a population in chaos. Jerusalem was in chaos. Most agree the destruction of the temple, the insurrection of their time, if you will, was about to occur when Mark was written, times very much like ours. The writer of Mark is writing to a very divided, troubled, confused, even deadly society. And in the midst of all that, Jesus told these parables about seeds and growth and change. I want to say that while the trial around the death of Mr. George Floyd was going on, I was most moved by the courage of those few bystanders that filmed that death that day on that sidewalk outside Cup Foods in Minneapolis. It was heart-wrenching to hear them speak about how small their act of filming it was and yet how much they regretted not doing more, how they had lost sleep since that day, how some of them had taken on depression and many other problems because of their decision to do that. And yet what they did truly changed the world, is changing us as a society too early to know for better or not, but no matter what, it was a seismic shift by that one act. I was touched that one of the prosecutors in the case referred to this small little group as, quote, a bouquet of humanity. A bouquet of humanity. People of all colors, walks of life, beliefs, creeds, taking part in that one small but miraculous and society-changing act of simply filming, an act they couldn't believe was happening. To live no longer for ourselves is to change ourselves. And that is perhaps, I would submit, the greatest angst that we are seeing play out in so many ways. The pandemics, both of them, that one regarding the virus and that one regarding racial injustice and inequality forced us to change. And folks, that, especially in this Western, affluent, rather privileged world we inhabit, is just not something we're used to, to be forced to change. Margaret Wheatley once said she didn't believe people feared change, but they're scared to death of being changed. In one, you only have to be a witness to see it, to watch it, to be a spectator of it. But the other, 
is a true personal adjustment, often a real sacrifice, a real commitment. For you, inside, for you to be changed, yes, that's scary stuff indeed. It might be better, it might be the best thing that ever happens to you, but even if it is, going through it is going to be scary. And yet that is exactly what Paul and Jesus and most all the prophets have ever pointed to as our call as followers of Christ. We have to shift from living for only ourselves to living for the good of the whole. Now, St. Thomas, your lives are changing. Lex and Zani are getting ready to depart after a great run here. We're so thankful for them, I know. I'm so thankful for them. That departure will change you, leave you grieving, concerned, excited, filled with anticipation and trepidation. All of those are very ripe feelings for change and growth. At the same time, a host of those in your midst, even coming out of a pandemic, are going to step forward today, hear and bow to change, and even more, to be changed. They are signing up for this life Paul is telling the Corinthians about, and Mark is imploring disciples to adopt, which can be summed up in many ways, but today this one is as good as any, to live no longer for yourself. Now, at some point, every Sunday when I confirm, I get to this point where I look at those who are going to be confirmed and say, you still have time to get out of it. <laughs> and it always gets a laugh. <laughs> and I'm never trying to be funny. <laughs> because I mean it. There's still time to get out of it. I tell clergy all the time when someone comes and says, it's time to baptize our baby, I say, your job is to talk them out of it. Tell them the truth. Tell them what it means if they say these words. Tell them what's expected. Tell them their life is supposed to change. And if you don't want that, you've got time to get out of it. For all the fancy theology I could throw at you about confirmation, reception, baptism, it's not that complicated or fancy. It's pretty much that, to bow, to live no longer for yourself. I'm convinced if we put that into practice and enough of us adhere to it, we will change. And so will our church. And so will our world for the better. This faith, folks, is not all about what you get. I get worried about that. That we think it's what you get. It's as every bit about what you give, what you sacrifice, how you change. In fact, without giving, the promises of this faith may well be lost on you. Jesus didn't bring it to us for our convenience, for our pleasure, for our safety, or solely for our comfort. 
Jesus brought it to us for our liberation, our freedom, our growth. As John Henry Newman once famously preached, to live is to change, and to become perfect is to have changed often. We won't be perfect, none of us, until that last major terminal end to our mortal bodies on this earth. But this life in our mortal bodies was not meant to be lived only waiting around for that death. No, from the minute we are born, we grow, we change, we move ever more toward perfection. And part of that is learning to live no longer for ourselves. So for those of you stepping forward, these are big vows. What is asked is no less than you laying down your life in the sense that you are fully open not just to change, but to be changed. And one of those changes so desperately needed in this church and in this world is to change the way we live, to live no longer for ourselves, but for the body. And for us, that's the body of Christ, which is us, gathered here, gathered virtually, gathered and connected however we are, for our fellow humans and for the world. Today, through this deeper step that you all will take here, we will see again what it looks like to move ever closer to perfection, ever closer to the dream God has for us all. For that vision that you offer for us today, we give thanks for you and to you. And we pray that living no longer for ourselves will be ever more true. My beloved, I have said these words to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. For more information about St. Thomas Episcopal Church, please visit our website, www.stthomasmedina.org. That's www.stthomasmedina.org.